This is the High School Football America podcast for September the 11th, 2020. And let's not ever forget all of those that lost their lives 19 years ago. The High School Football America podcast is brought to you by GameStrat, America's premier sideline instant replay system with outstanding reliability and its speed is faster than Huddle's sideline. Plus, GameStrat has great customer service along with different plans priced right for every coach's budget. And if you're a listener of the High School Football America podcast and you're a coach and you're looking for great sideline instant replay, Well, just mention our name and GameStrat will give you a discount, which will make it cheaper than Huddle Sideline. Plus, they're going to make it risk-free, too, because if for some reason, and we know there's a lot of things up in the air, they cancel the 2020 season, your money rolls right into 2021. No risk, and you can't beat that. To get a demo, go to GameStrat.com or click on the GameStrat banner ad located on every page of HighSchoolFootballAmerica.com. All right, heading to the state of Louisiana where there's some celebrating going on because earlier this week it was announced that uh, high school football 2020 will in fact be played in 2020 as uh, the Louisiana High School Athletic Association put forth a plan that will allow uh, uh, a scrimmage, uh, games to start at the beginning of October, an eight-game season with a a full complement, 32 uh, teams in a playoff bracket and state championships. Couldn't be better. It's a a gift because it comes right after Christmas in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And one of the teams that has spent a lot of time in the uh, High School Football America 100 over the last several years is uh, Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, uh, headed by uh, Gabe Fertitta, who uh, is on the line right now to talk about uh, his program and uh, a lot of other things. But uh, right now, I know he's got a big smile on his face because he knows he will be playing football uh, this year. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate you having me on. And been following the uh, the Twitter account and the website and podcast for a while now. So appreciate you and all the things that you do for us uh, in high school football. It's really neat that our kids and our programs get the kind of exposure that they get through uh, through people like you. Well, thank you very much for those kind words. And we're going to just start with the kind of the news of the week, which is uh, you guys get to to strap them on, right, and and, and, and have at it. And I, I just want your initial reaction uh, on this. We're going to dive deep into your program uh, after that. But how the heck does it feel to know that you can play football in 2020? And I know there's some things that got to go right between now and then, but how does it feel? It's a, It really is a great feeling. You know, a lot of my buddies – I've, I've coached in three different states, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, and have friends coaching in Georgia and all, all around the country, really. And um, a lot of them were getting cranked up and playing games, and I'm watching them on the live stream. And <laughs> I thought I'd be really excited about, you know, getting to watch my buddies coach. And then once I started kind of watching and, and, and getting the feel for it, uh, it kind of hit me, you know, that we weren't playing. But I'll tell you this. Uh, our kids have had our kids, meaning the kids across the country have had a lot thrown at them in the last four months or so. Um, I mean, there's just so much going on and uh, the mental health of our kids is something that we don't talk about enough. And I'll just tell you this briefly about the joy of getting to play. When I came back from the state Capitol after the the hearing from the uh, house committee on education, the news had already spread that we were going to play football come hell or high water, um, regardless of what phase we were in. And when I walked back on campus, a bunch of our kids were at lunch and I've not seen 
smiles and joyful uh, interactions with kids um, like I saw that day going all the way back to March when they first sent us out of school for the quarantine. I have not seen that much joy from these 15, 16, and 17-year-olds since then. So um, that's what that's what did it for me, was seeing the smiles on those kids' faces when they knew that we were going to get to play. Yeah, and, and I've been saying that all throughout this. Uh, again, safety comes first, but uh, there's a lot of things that go into football and what football does for these young men, and that's just one of them there, that mental aspect and you know keeping them sharp and all that. Gay Fertitta's on the line. We're talking some Catholic Bears football coming up here in just a couple of seconds, but uh, we're, we're talking news of the day. Louisiana will be playing football in 2020 uh, starting in uh, October is when the, the regular season games will be played. And, you know, Coach, one of the things that, uh, because I know, you do retweet a lot of things. I watch your social media and that, and you are watching your friends, like you said, around the country doing what it is you guys do best. I want to just compliment the coaches around the country because I think – you know, it's being lost in in the shuffle because everybody's so excited the games are being played. But what I want to salute, and I, I want you to talk about the fraternity of coaching in, in this question, which is, I always said from the beginning, COVID's not going away, and everybody's going to put safety first. But I would not want anybody other than a football coach leading the way because you guys have structure and programs already right that's what you do that's part of the profession uh tell me a little bit about some of your conversations with fellow coaches whether it's in louisiana or around the country about you know how well you've done to manage this that's not to say there hasn't been a a flare-up here or there but you guys have done one hell of a job is what i'm going to say so just tell me a little bit about some of those conversations within the fraternity there's no, there's no question um, that the real heroes in this thing are the coaches who've been able to put kids through workouts and practice sessions safely, the kids who've had to adapt everything about what they do, which kids are the most adaptable in this, in this equation, um, and the parents who've had to, you know, for us, the kid's a virtual student one day and he's on campus the next and they got to figure out how to get him to school so they can practice. I mean, for all across the country, coaches, kids, parents are really the the heroes of us getting to play. And, and I got asked to testify at that House committee hearing when, when everything uh, got pushed through. And uh, I, I spoke for about one minute. And th- this is what I told the House committee and went on record with is number one, the state associations, ours in particular, the LHSAA and Eddie Bonine, remarkable job in educating us, the coaches, on what all the protocols we needed to do. Then these coaches across the state in Louisiana enforce these protocols all summer. There are no community outbreaks at workouts. Every now and then a group has to shut down for a period of time or whatever, but no hospitalizations. Um, so his guidance and then the coaches putting that guidance into, into, into work. And, uh, we would not have been sitting at the table able to have the conversation about pushing forward, regardless of phase, had all the coaches, all the players and all the parents not handled their business over the course of the three months leading up to that conversation. And I think you've seen that across the country. I mean, when this thing very first started and people were going back to summer workouts, you know, their rivals, like bitter rivals at schools, 
picking up the phone and calling each other to say, Hey, how, what are you, what, how are y'all doing this? What are y'all, Oh, we got these garden sprayers. We got these pump sprayers from (laughs) Home Depot, man. Go, go over there. You can get a bunch of them for real cheap to spray your hand sanitizer. And, Oh, we, we got the alcohol water mix hand sanitizer from this distillery. That's, that's doing it. And we got these 55 gallon drums. Y'all should call them up. I mean, you're talking about schools that compete to the death on the playing field every Friday night. And those coaches are all calling each other and trying to figure out ways that we can all keep each other safe, keep our kids safe. And, and those are, that's the coaching fraternity. I I've said this so often uh, with coaches is, you know, you have these rivalry games and schools that man, you know, we hate so-and-so and whatever. But if you really look at it, once the players kind of feel that rivalry, the coaches have a have a fraternity, like you call it, that we understand the rivalry and all that. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll play it up with our kids. But at the end of the day, we're all in this profession because we are professionals. You know, I think people forget that. They they grow up playing daddy ball all their lives till they get to high school and then these high school coaches are professionals at their job. And I think this instance has shown that this is a profession. These are people that are um, fully able to handle all of these different situations and do it in a way that keeps everybody safe. And if it wouldn't have been for that and all of those conversations across the country that I'm sure every coach had, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah. You know? So I think, I think it speaks to um, the coaching profession. And, and I've always said this too. Football coaches in, in particular share information better than any profession in the country. I don't care what it is. IBM, whoever, Apple, all that. The, nobody shares mm-hmm. information better and more readily uh, trains and does professional development with each other than football coaches. You're the best borrowers in the world is the way I look at it. And I also like to point out to the listeners that are just fans out there listening, uh, when you're screaming at a high school football coach, uh, you may want to check what he makes per hour <laughs> when it comes to the time he puts in for these kids. Okay, Fertina is on the line. Yeah, I don't want you going and looking at your uh, pay stub there. I know you already know how much it is, Coach. But Gay Fertina is on the line. He's been the HC, the head coach at uh, Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, since uh, 2017, as you heard, longtime coach across the uh, southeast. Which I might hit on that at the at the end here, but let's let's dive into uh, that. Catholic Bears are ready to go. You guys will have a scrimmage, then you'll have regular season kicking off, and like I said, a, a full complement in the postseason and all that. So you said the kids were smiling, big smile, and all that. So tell me a little bit of what and and the, and the listeners a little bit of what you guys have to do. So what what have you been doing during this period? Have you had contact? Have you had to do it in a limited fashion? And then how do you ramp up and build up to the the, the, you know, the scrimmage and then obviously the regular season. Right. So yesterday was our first day that we were allowed to have uh, full contact. So um, we have been allowed by the association to have our shoulder pads on over the past couple of weeks, uh, but not allowed to have any contact. So I think they were just more looking at the heat acclimatization part of that. So for us at Catholic, we didn't know when we were going to start. So I didn't want to put their shoulder pads on 
and uh, and even tempt them to to have contact with each other. So we have been in just helmets since June, and uh, the the way the practices have gone have been very. Um, you know, it's very foreign. You know, I mean, there, we haven't been able to do one-on-ones and we, we just got cleared to do seven on seven work with no contact about a month ago. And so we've kind of had this little steady rise of return to normal situation. And, um, and yesterday was our first day to be able to put all the pads on go through some contact drills and, um, you know, really just prepare the kids for the collisions that they're going to have in a couple of weeks, you know, and that, that, that takes a little time to prepare. You know, anybody who's ever played football knows after that first day of contact, your neck's a little sore and you got some, some bumps and bruises in places you normally don't get bumps and bruises, you know? Well, it reminds me, Joe. Uh, when I was interviewing Mean Joe Green for my book, uh, he, he—I don't even know how it came up—but he was talking about you know how how physical and how painful football is, and he goes, "If anybody Jeff tells you that they like being hit, they're lying. <laughs> it's a painful sport, no doubt about it." But you know, let me ask you this question because I—I I, I was asked was asked a lot, you know, in the spring on the podcast, but now that you're you know in this mode, uh, because you have a wide range of of, of kids, right, from different backgrounds, different levels of this, different, you know, some kids might've watched a lot of news, some may not, but you're also that, that leader. And it goes back to that mental aspect. How did you approach talking to the kids about contact? Because, you know, let's face it, you have kids that are, you know, like uh, lions in a cage that are ready for that red meat and boy, we get to hit. And then there may be some others going, well, you know, I don't. so how did you approach that as a, as not only yourself, but the staff and talking to the kids to get them ready for this, this thing that's called contact, which is the game of football. Right. We, we try to define, you know, the different tempos of contact in a practice, you know, is this thud, is this run through, is it full, um, you know, is it full and tackle to the ground? So we try to have, uh, you know, some lingo verbiage that we can use with the kids that communicates them what our expectation is. So yesterday, uh, what we did was what we would call thud and, uh, it's, what everybody else calls thud, and we didn't tackle anybody to the ground, although people end up on the ground. Yeah, I mean, we did a, an inside run period where, you know, that, that gets pretty bloody no matter what, what kind of contact tempo you're, you're trying to have. So um, that was what we did yesterday. I talked, called the whole team up right before we started and just kind of told them, you know, what I want is to hear the contact one of the things that I've found where kids get injured the most at practice is when uh, players reach and grab and then sling to the ground because they reach and grab, they sling to the ground, and then that player ends up rolling up on another player. If you can hear the contact, that means we're not reaching and grabbing. We're getting up into close contact and, and you know, wrapping up and, and stopping the ball carrier's momentum. So that was – my, that was my talk to them yesterday, along with, you know, we, we got to walk a fine line. We have a very short window of time to see who's who, you know, um, and, and who's going to take which spots. So there's a level of competitiveness about it. And at the same time, you know, I told the guys yesterday, we're all bears out here. You know, at the end of the day, this is everybody on this teams on the Catholic high team. We got to take care of each other. So it's a fine line, and, and it's one that I feel like that is one of the primary jobs of the head coach, mm-hmm. which is to set the standard of 
how much effort is expected in this drill, how much contact is expected in this drill, because you run into issues when one player is doing something other than what the rest of the players are doing. And if the head coach is allowing that to happen, then you kind of get this tit for tat thing that happens. So very important for me to set that tone myself as a head coach. Let's let's dive into uh, a little bear tradition here. I, I mentioned at the top, uh, you've been the HC since 17, the OC before that, under a pretty darn good coach <laughs> there in Louisiana and nationally as well. When you win 317 games, you're doing something right. Uh, Dale Weiner, Weiner, I guess is the way you pronounce it correct, was the, the head coach there. And, uh, you know, you, you follow that up. You get promoted when he surprised everybody by, by stepping aside and all that. So tell the, the listeners around the nation a little bit about uh, Catholic bear football in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the tradition that is uh, that, that bear football. Yeah, I mean, you say Catholic high football in Baton Rouge, and, and people instantly think um, Warwick Dunn and Travis Minor and Major Applewhite, and the names just keep on rolling. And the the thing that people don't realize is that before 1988, before Dale Weiner became the head coach at Catholic, Catholic was mediocre at best for a long, long time, um, probably longer than we've been a name on the block. Mm. Um, when coach Weiner took over in 1988, he instituted one of the first high school summer weightlifting programs and, and really was on the cutting edge of a lot of this kind of stuff that we kind of take for granted now. And, um, you know, all he did was I think he, I think it's 29 out of 30 years. They made the playoffs and, um, we won a state championship in 2015 under coach Weiner. I was the offensive coordinator at the time and uh, hall of fame coach. And, and he's the person who really put Catholic high on the map as a, as a, a school that was recognized for being excellent in, in football. And then, uh, I was lucky enough to take over in 2017 when he, when he stepped aside and um, I'm really lucky in that he's still on campus. So I can still, he, he's like my football dad. Nice. Um, I worked for him for six years and, and learned a, a tremendous amount from him. And I'm really blessed in that. Um, I've had so many great mentors as a coach and I get to have one of my greatest mentors here every day around me and helping me if I need something. So Took over in 17. We, we won the state championship that year, defeating John Curtis, and then um, played for it in 18, played for it in 19, and came up short in both of those, but but really proud of our kids and our coaches and, and all the community for the, the continued upward trajectory of our program. Yeah, finding your way into the High School Football America 117, number 76. Uh, last year, number 42 with the runner-up finish. And uh, I guess uh, before we shut our, uh, our our algorithm down until October, uh, you guys were, were slated for 55 in the nation. So we like putting targets on people's backs for you. <laughs> Not just teasing about that. <laughs> Coach Gayfertit is on the line. And uh, before we kind of go off into to this year, a couple of things came to my mind. A, uh, you, you talked about Coach Weiner and, and, you know, big shoes to fill, but also you always want to put your mark there and you also want to pay respect to the tradition you just mentioned there. What were what was the biggest thing that you had to adjust to in, in moving up from the OC to, to the head coach and, 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 again, making sure that tradition was adhered to, but you got your thumbprint on the program as well? 
Right. I think there's a couple of things. One, one thing that was definitely an adjustment and I had been a head coach before, but, um, not at a program quite as, as big and as, uh, storied as this one. But, um, coach Weiner was fantastic at shielding the assistant coaches from all of the inevitable things that come up that a head coach has to deal with, whether it's parents, whether it's anything with the administration or anything like that. And, we never knew any, we just thought it was utopia all the time, you know? And, and because he just dealt with that so that we didn't have to. And when I took over, I quickly realized there was a lot of things that he was shielding us from that, uh, he took care of that we didn't have to consider. All we had to do was worry about plan and practice and, and coming up with game plan. So that was an adjustment. And then, there was, you know, our, it's, it's a long, long story, but the culture of our program centers around Bob Cade, whose nickname is the Cur Dog. And um, he, the Cur Dog lived in Madison County, Florida. Madison County High School there was like his home high school. But his testimony um, was, was the culture of our program, and it, it was extremely important to me to continue that legacy and, and carry that on. And one thing that we kind of changed a little bit was um, the focus on our freshman programs and, and trying to get our freshman program more in line with our varsity program. And so that those kids could play sooner, you know, for the longest time, it was kind of like a thing, you know, if, if you weren't a senior, you weren't really going to play at Catholic until you were a senior. Mm. And there were really talented young kids that, um, just weren't ready because they hadn't been uh, prepared for the style of practice and that kind of thing in the younger program. So we've, I think we've done a really good job with all of our coaches uh, emphasizing that development from the moment they get here, because we're under the gun a little bit. A lot of schools, um, you know, they get to see their kids and work with their kids before they're freshmen and a Catholic we don't even know 90% of them until they walk in the door as a ninth grader. And they're coming from all different programs and levels of experience. And some of them have never stepped foot in a weight room before, you know? So, um, it's, it's a monumental task when they come in as freshmen to get them ready. No doubt. And that's a good, good segue there. Uh, when you talk about the freshmen, I was going to ask you this a little later, but I'll just go into it since you mentioned that. I'll just mention the name uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, 138 yards last night in his NFL debut. Not bad. An alum of the, the, the Bears. Uh, speaking of smiling about playing football, I, I guess you were smiling later on at night too, watching that young man. I guess he, he was the first freshman, if I'm correct, the first freshman to start for Coach Weiner. And, and, and then, of course, you had the pleasure there for a couple of years as the OC. Of, of handing the ball to him. So tell us a little bit about uh, Clyde as a bear. Clyde, yeah, Clyde as a freshman uh, came in and his very first touch at Catholic High was a punt return that he took back for a touchdown against a, a really big crosstown rival. Uh, that story kind of is legend now over here uh, with Clyde. And, and he was, he was the first freshman uh, in Coach Weiner's program to ever play varsity minutes. And, um, and so you knew at a young age that Clyde was going to be really talented and, you know, he's just so, he's so easy to root for cause he's just such an awesome kid. And his story is just, mm-hmm. 
he's he's unbelievable. I mean, there's not enough good things you can say about him. And I, I knew these NFL teams were going to really do their homework on Clyde because, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, uh, but right before the Fiesta Bowl uh, a few years ago, uh, Clyde and another young man on our team got into an, an incident uh, right before the the bowl game where they were they were robbed at gunpoint, and uh, that story has been told a million times. But uh, I knew the NFL was going to do all kinds of background work on Clyde, and you might be nervous about that sometimes with some guys. But I knew that if they do all this background work on him and they really find out about this kid and who he is and what he represents and, and all of that, he's going to shoot up these draft boards hmm. because he's just such an unbelievable kid. He's such a great worker. And of course he's immensely talented and uh, sure enough, draft night, 30, 31st pick goes off. And I said, I just, I think Clyde's going to get picked in this 32nd pick. So I, I pulled my phone out and video it. And sure enough, they picked him and I woke the whole house up because it was late. <laughs> it, was. it was late at night. I started yelling and screaming and my wife comes running out. What's going on? I said, Clyde just got picked in the first round. And, um, I just, I'm so proud of that young man and his family. I mean, an unbelievable family, uh, his mom, stepdad, I never had the pleasure of meeting his biological dad uh, while Clyde was here, but just, a, you know, he's a guy that anybody can root for. And just uh, broken in the NFL in a big way, 138 yards last night, Gabe Fertitta on the line, uh, Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Bears, and uh, let's get into, uh, we talked a little bit about what you're doing, getting to the contact, but let's uh, roll into uh, what you have back, uh, back-to-back runner-up finishes. I know you want to change those silvers for some golds this year and get back to the, the 17 title. So what do you guys have coming back? Get some kids in there by name and let the listeners know why the Catholic Bears once again should be reckoned with in 2020. Yeah, we've got a got a good senior group this year. This senior group is actually going to be the first senior group for me that talking about that freshman experience who started the program as freshmen with me as their head coach and have gone through the full length of the program. So uh, I'm I'm really excited about that and for those guys. We had 25 of them uh, on the team this year, which is which is about normal for us, but um, one of the guys, Michael Chernowskis, who is a committed to West Point um, as a safety, is just a tremendous leader. He's he started uh, all last year and started some games as a sophomore for us as a safety, and uh, really excited about him and his senior year. And when he goes off to West Point, pretty pretty cool little thing. We'll have three kids from the same team on the army West point football oh, team, all awesome. one, which is really, really cool. So bucket list for me is to get to that army Navy game when all three of them be there. So Chernowskis is one. Another one is a, a tailback. Uh, wouldn't be Catholic high if we didn't mention a tailback. Um, and that's George Hart. George is a six foot, 200 pound tailback who, who was truthfully our third string tailback last year. Cause our other two guys both signed, uh, FCS scholarships last year. And George was, was right behind them. He played a good bit. Um, so we kind of had like a three man rotation there, but George will be the feature guy this year. George has an offer to McNeese and I'm sure 
once this thing gets kicked off and he gets some more opportunities to show what he can do, there'll be a lot of people come and check him out. Um, and he, and just a great kid, super leader uh, on our team. Um, and then, you know, we've got a, a new senior quarterback who, who was playing behind uh, uh, one of the, one of the best we've had statistically here uh, from, from last year, but Landon O'Connor will be our quarterback this year. And uh, Landon played a good bit uh, last year, kind of a running quarterback uh, for us and kind of a fun, fun Catholic high fact. Landon's uncle actually was our starting quarterback in 2015 when we won our first ever state state title. Neat. So, uh, yeah, kind of a neat kind of a neat little family fact there. Um, so, those three guys. I mean, I could just I could go on and on with the list of names of guys I'm really excited about. We got some young guys that have garnered a lot of national attention. Uh, Emory Jones is a big six four, three hundred thirty pound offensive lineman who's got a scholarship offered of pretty much anywhere he wants to go in the country. And we're excited about him. And Shelton Sampson is a receiver um, who, who kind of burst onto the national scene. We did a, a college recruiting combine at Catholic this summer, right at the end of the summer to, you know, showcase our guys and video evidence of their measurements and heights and weights and all that. Well, Shelton, who's a sophomore going to be a sophomore this year, measured six, four, 180 pounds, and then busted out a four, three, five, mm. 40. And, uh, about one hour to the dot after he crossed the tape on the 40, uh, Virginia called and offered him. And then the floodgates opened after that. So he's been offered by LSU and Florida state and all kinds of schools. So, We've got some young talent. We got some returning guys that are going to bring a lot of experience. So, um, you know, I'm I'm optimistic about it. But anybody who knows anything about our playoff and our league down here, um, pretty much every school that that's in the playoffs for us could say this. They have similar guys on the team. So it's it's a bloodbath when you get into the playoffs for us. So. Uh, you know, we just we just take it one day at a time. Yeah, a lot of times it's a, a little see you once, see you twice to, to win a state championship and all that. And it leads me into the question: So your your regular season has been been cut by a couple of games. Playoffs are going to be full. Um, what? How did you guys work the schedule? Did you just clip off a couple of weeks here or there, or did you have to retool the schedule? What? How, how did you guys do that? What the LHSAA did was they. They said when we start back on October the second, everybody starts with their third, oh, okay, third playing date game. That way, you didn't have just a mad dash of people trying to reschedule. Which you know, for us, um, we're we're certainly excited about opening with U High, which is a crosstown rival, and Andy and I coached together at Catholic High for a while, so that's a great game. It's been really competitive for a long time, uh, but it cut off our second week game, which was against IMG mm. and our kids were really excited to play that game. And, uh, it looks like, uh, we may not get the opportunity to reschedule that one, but, um, but we started with our third week and then went through all the way to the, uh, to the 10th playing date. 
And I mentioned uh, you're going to have, uh, if you get to the championship game again, uh, <laughs> you've got a Christmas present there, right? you got uh, you got to right. play it in the Dome after great after Christmas. That's that's interesting. What's that going to be? Because, you know, usually is, you know, well, if you're, you're, if you're practicing on Thanksgiving, you're doing something, right? Now, now it's right. if you're practicing on Christmas, you're doing something. Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. I looking at it, looking ahead of, of of schedule, like in June and July. I I emailed our parents and said, "Look, I'm just taking a guess here, but if we work hard enough, and if we're lucky enough, and we play well enough, there's there's a chance that we will be practicing and playing not only on Thanksgiving, but we there's a chance we could be practicing and playing during the Christmas break. So, um, I tried to get that info out to our parents ahead of time, because I'm sure a lot of them had vacations and things like that scheduled. But, um, I think it'll be neat. I think it'll be kind of like a, a, you know, I'll kind of look at it as like a bowl game, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the college teams, they practice throughout the holidays and go play bowl games during the, the holidays. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to it. I think it'll be really neat. The, the part I'm a little concerned about is playing a playoff game during exams. You oh, know, man. these these guys are going to be our, our exams here are they are uh, it's college ready when it comes to exam time over here and um, piling a, a playoff game on top of final exams during Christmas is going to be a, a bit of a challenge, but. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll figure it out. Our kids are resilient, and, and they'll uh, they'll be able to to power through it. It'll be a nice problem to have. Gabe Fertitta is on the line, uh, wrapping up here. The head coach at uh, Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, a couple of back-to-back uh, runner-up finishes in in 18 and 19 in uh, Louisiana's Division One and uh, preseason 55. With a lot of uh, California leaving and all that, you guys will be probably a little bit higher there by uh, by the time the rankings come out in October. I'm going to give you one last question. It's actually an opportunity, and you mentioned the draft with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and, and being so excited about that we we've been tracking uh pick by pick uh the the high schools that the nfl picks have done have been been doing that since 2015 i think and one of the states that is consistently climbing up as far as number of players drafted is the state of louisiana and i wanted you to put on your ambassador hat here for the the entire state and talk about uh the the state of of louisiana football if you will the state of the state if you if you can and just kind of talk about how good football is in louisiana and uh, then I got one more question as we go away too. So, uh, but let's take that one first. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things about Louisiana in terms of, of the brand of football is that, you know, I, I have found that the schools in Louisiana for the longest time have not had to go outside the state to find really good competition. And so it really hasn't been a, a thing for very many of the, um, schools in our state to go out of state to play to play games and i think you're starting to see a lot of schools start branching out you know and playing teams from other states and you know it never fails you know the louisiana teams go out there and they do us really proud you know we played uh, north little rock from arkansas last year who was the runner-up in 7a um for uh for arkansas last year and, and beat them and, um, you know, Curtis beat a, a power from Georgia last year. And, you know, I just think that as more and more schools look to expand and play teams from outside the state, I think you're going to find uh, that, that people are going to realize that the, the 
ball here in Louisiana is, is just as good as it is anywhere. And uh, it's just that maybe per capita, we don't have quite as many, you know, as say like a Texas. Uh, maybe we have, you know, three or four schools in that top 100, whereas Texas has however many. Um, and I mean, per capita, that's just the way it's probably going to be. But the players here are extremely well coached. They work really hard. They love football. Football is as close to religion down here. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our coaches do a great job across the state in preparing kids for college. And you're seeing more and more colleges start coming in and, and recruiting kids from Louisiana to go out of state. And I think that's a positive thing, although I think our in-state schools have done a magnificent job in keeping our talent uh, in-state. So, yeah. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I think Louisiana football has always been really good, but I think it's starting to really garner more national attention now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Gabe Fertitta on the line, and be, before we have you, you leave here. We started with talking about the excitement of uh, football starting uh, in Louisiana. Will be played this year. A regular season game starting in October. We also talked about the coaching fraternity. Uh, we we before we started recording our interview here, had talked about uh, making sure we touched upon one thing that may have been lost in the shuffle, which is Louisiana in, in parts still reeling from the hurricane that moved through here. And I thought I'd, I'd give you a, a chance to kind of talk a little bit about that because again uh you know it's uh you know foot, football's great it's a it's a wonderful thing but there are other things that are going on so what are some of the things that are happening there with some of the the programs that have definitely been drastically affected by uh, not only COVID but now the hurricane on top of it yeah you know hurricane laura um you know it it, it didn't hit an, a really media frenzied location in our state you know, and and truthfully, New Orleans is really the only one that would garner a whole lot of national media attention. Um, but uh, the devastation from that hurricane is it's it's awesome. And by awesome, I don't mean it's great. It's 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 inspires a sense of realizing how little you are, mm-hmm. and 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 how much uh, power. Uh, storms like this can pack. And those people are, they're without power, they're without running water, and there's no real conceivable timeline for when they're going to get that stuff back. I mean, people, they can't even go back, a lot of them, because there's nothing to go back to. And, uh, you know, it's a very wooded area, too, um, Lake Charles, and there are trees everywhere down there and a few of our guys went down with one of our defensive back coaches over the weekend and did some some relief work and cutting trees and clearing roads and things like that and they just came back and were just they were just stunned at how much devastation there is there so to anybody that's listening you know it's it's it is a thing you're just not seeing it on the media because it's not going to garner a whole lot of attention because it's in, in Lake Charles. And if you have a, a, a heart to donate and you know of an organization that you trust, that you know your money is going to go to a good place, um, those people need anything they can get um, for for help. And um, we, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them, and, and our hands are going to be with them because we're going to go down there and work quite a bit, I'm sure, over the next year, really, um, as we we continue to try to get back. 
Go to highschoolfootballamerica.com. We'll put a couple of links up there if you would like to donate. Coach, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule because I know you're you're, you're back to being a full-time <laughs> football coach with the Amen. season right around the corner. But again, it's, it's a nice little problem to have, right? So thank you so much. Congratulations on all the success you have had and uh, look forward to seeing what you guys can do in 2020. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate all y'all do for for high school athletics. The High School Football America podcast is brought to you by the great new app, Small Player, Big Play, and age-appropriate sports-focused social media platform that's designed to showcase and connect young athletes with their parents, their coaches, and their friends. And here's another great thing about Small Player, Big Play. The app has a great fundraising opportunity for you it's very very lucrative for your school and your team you need to check it out small player big play and again it's also for young athletes and giving them the ability to utilize the app and share their interest and accomplishments and it's a very safe and a highly secure social media environment that allows the kids to clip up their game and have game day highlights but again don't forget this is also for high schools and it's not just for football with uh, limited space and all of the stadiums now, meaning most places can't go any higher than 25% of capacity. You can stream your games live for all of your fans and raise money at the same time. It's called Small Player Big Play. You can download it by going to the banner ads on highschoolfootballamerica.com or just go directly to Google Play and the Apple App Store. You've been listening to the High School Football America podcast, and I'm Jeff Fisher.